0: Welcome to Liberalism in Question, a series of podcasts about the strengths and weaknesses of liberalism today. My name is Rob Forsyth, and today I'm speaking with Peter Tulip, who's the Chief Economist here at the Centre for Independent Studies. Before that, Peter was economist with the Reserve Bank of Australia, as well as at the Federal Reserve, which is the American equivalent of the Reserve Bank. Peter, welcome. Hey, Rob. How are you? Peter, is liberalism
1: a right-wing phenomenon? I don't think it is. I mean, there are a lot of aspects of liberalism that uh, I would put on the left of Australian politics. So maybe we should define our terms first. I see liberalism as a strong belief in free markets and limited government. There is more to it than that, but they're the aspects of it that are most important to me as an economist. And if you take that as a definition, then... There are a lot of policy issues where free markets are typically on the side of the left. I mean, drug legalization is one obvious one, a whole range of sex issues, um, where liberals support toleration of diversity. I mean, and gay marriage is the most recent one. Maybe it, that's a one issue and that will fade from the scene. but that has been very important. Um, assisted suicide um, is an, is another one where liberals, I guess you'd, I would classify as being on the left of the spectrum. So, so it's mixed. Aren't some of these though social yes. rather than economic?
0: Because I have noticed people like um, Prime Minister Howard, for example, was recognised as a economic liberal but a social conservative. Correct. You're using the liberal. Not just about economics, but social as well?
1: There, I think, where the differences from conservatism are clear. Right. Um, I mean, there are economic issues too, and they're the ones I've been working on a lot. So, in particular, monetary policy. Well, no, no, a better example is housing policy, where I think we would get much better housing outcomes if the government got out of the way. That we have this incredibly interventionist planning system that tells people what they can build, where they can build it, how high it can be, what they can use it for. And conservatives, and in fact, argue probably a majority of the Liberal Party, support those planning restrictions, um, partly for because they're fond of the status quo, more cynically you could say because it supports wealthy interests and the privileged interests. And, and that's interesting because it brings up a underlying tension between liberals and conservatives that liberals are skeptical of conservatives because they think conservatives are often in supporting the status quo, in being distrustful or sceptical of reform, are doing so to support powerful interests. And from the very beginnings of liberalism, um, back with Adam Smith and the fight against the Corn Laws, it was always seen as a way to decentralise power and take it out of the hands of privileged interests. And I mentioned the Corn Laws. I mean, that's an interesting parallel to what we have at the moment, where it's a case of free markets versus landowners. The Corn Laws were in Britain in the first half of the nineteenth century. England had huge tariffs on imports of agricultural goods, what they called corn, but we, yes, would, yeah. call, we would call grain now, and that meant very high prices, in particular for bread, for the working classes, and it meant huge profits for the landed aristocracy. And the new middle class capitalist class hated it because they wanted free trade and they wanted cheap bread. And it was the first, it was one of the biggest early fights between Liberalism and conservatism, in the economic sphere. Before that, it had been a big issue. With in 1688, the Glorious Revolution. That was more. That was more about political
0: yeah. liberalism. When it, whereas the Corn Law debate was about economic liberalism. Yes. Yeah. Before, before I, I want to come back to this yeah. a moment. Um, you've mentioned liberals and conservatives. Is there, an, is, there, is there a third party? Well, the left. Group the left. The <laughs> Tell left. me about what 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 are the left in all this
1: then? If you've got your your two, what's the third one? So on many issues, liberals and conservatives are allies against the left. On issues of, for example, industrial relations, or taxation, or welfare reform, um, the, and depending on how you define the left, I mean, some people will define it as wanting a big state and an interventionist government. and If you define it that way, then liberals are at the other polar extreme. Um, Other people will define being left-wing as being egalitarian, in which um, liberals are much more mixed, and I don't think there is a consistent liberal position. In fact, there's a form of liberalism which emphasizes
0: equality rather than opportunity, and that can lead to the word liberal being used in the United States, what we would call in Australia, the left, I was think of the Greens who are a mirror image of John Howard. That is, they're economically very conservative, interventionist, but socially very libertarian. Yes. They're the mirror image of her.
1: Yeah. Uh, so, and when it comes to economic policy, liberal, I'm going to use the word liberals, not in its American sense. No, no. But it, it's in its old nor, European
0: nor, sense. Nor in its political sense. We're not talking about the it,
1: party we call that, co- it, Correct. sometimes it's not that liberal. Um, some people use the word libertarian for it, others yes. don't like that. Um, I'm happy to call them libertarians.
0: Let, let's just go with economics. I want to come back to social later on. but why, why should we believe in liberal economics? Why do you believe in it?
1: So I would not describe myself as a zealot, um, but in general, I think you can improve the biggest economic reforms Australia needs. Tend, tend to be getting the government out of economic affairs, and to have the government having a lighter touch. Um, and The big one I mentioned earlier was housing policy, years? which is one of our biggest social disasters. The other big one I've been working on has been monetary policy, where which people don't think of as an ideological issue. This is the question of how much interest rates interest rates, should, basically should are, yes. how expensive yeah. money is to borrow. And so we've had a big review of the Reserve Bank um, in this past year, which talks about the framework and there, whereas in the past ideology never reared its head in discussions of monetary policy, it actually did come to the fore. And in particular, a lot of conservatives are happy with a central authority having a lot of discretion. To run affairs as he sees fit. This this being the governor, or she sees fit. Or she now. Sorry, yes. Yes. Um, The liberals want um, much more much more constraint on bureaucratic discretion. They don't think that the governor should have the right to just invent new objectives for himself, as Phil Lowe did with financial stability. That the objectives of the central bank should be clearly specified in legislation by the parliament, and it should then be a technical question right. for this, experts as to how to achieve those. So this objectives. comes
0: from one of the marks of Liberals, which is a strong emphasis on rule of law. Yes. Um, even if they want to have less
1: government, the two things are not inconsistent with each other. And allied with that is having policy governed by clear rules and principles now, my, and, and not by bureaucratic discretion. My question is, why is that better? <laughs> does, it, does it work better? Rules are better than discretion, partly because if I specify the clear principles that I'm operating monetary policy under, then people c- then it's easy for people to tell where and why they disagree, and it's easy for improvements to be suggested. And if I'm a magician um, with perfect discretion, that's fine, but I can't pass that on to my successors, can I? No. Uh, rules are, uh, you could equivalently see them as a recipe book is, or a manual, something that can be passed on and improved. So f- I mean, that's one yeah. set of reasons. Another set of reasons is, unless there are rules, I can do whatever I want, and it's very difficult for other people to criticize me. I could say that monetary policy is improved by the governor getting a swimming pool put in his backyard, and unless there are clear uh, principles, you'll, you can, I, it's I, easy to get an abuse of power. Now,
0: I think you're, I, what I'm hearing you're saying is that liberal, liberal is not just the government less, but also cl- more objective, clear rules for the economy and so forth. Yeah. My question back is... is is this is this better for people or worse for people? I look at outcomes here, not, not, even, not inputs. Does it actually work better? Did the Corn Laws help? Being abolished, <laughs> does government out and good rules make people live better lives?
1: That's a very good question and and difficult to prove. Um, I mean, and but partly we're talking ideology, and so these are partly matters of faith. You must
0: have an inclination. inclination. I understand in these in
1: social matters. So, so we, we know Is the
0: evidence one way or the other,
1: my so, so we know very clearly that free markets work better than central central planning, and you can just look at um, compare North and South Korea or East and West Germany for. Clear experiments. Now, you've chosen um, those because they're, t- they're just the one country divided into two systems, to c- yeah. quote a phrase. <laughs> you yeah. So you're, essentially, you're holding almost everything constant apart from the economic system. One's a disaster. One's a huge success. It's pretty obvious. You don't think to do with investment from American Marshall Plan?
0: and Is that not a way to use a pretty good...
1: Few countries have performed as badly as North Korea. And it was just very dramatic when the Berlin Wall came down, and suddenly Germans had a choice okay. of which side of the bo- of the border they wanted to live, and there was this mass migration. So less government
0: planning is better, government involvement is better, now, there must be a point at which that no longer is true.
1: Uh, sure, sure. There must be a point at so, which- Right. So, so on these things, um, I would So I don't consider myself a zealot, and in that sense it might be maybe misleading or inaccurate to describe myself as a liberal because ultimately um, i'm not an ideologue or at least my ideology might be best described as mainstream economics That's but very helpful indeed is what <laughs> that means <laughs> well but it's a philosoph- um the philosophy is primarily I'm a consequentialist or a utilitarian. That is, what works is best. What works is best. And, the, and, and there are limits to free
0: markets. Well, let I me mean, explore that because um, when the Soviet Union collapsed, we had a almost collapse of government for a while there, and the result was not pretty economically. So that was a case of not enough government. True?
1: Uh, it was certainly badly
0: done. Um, the olig- I mean, what happened? You've got olig- concentration of wealth, oligarchy taking over. You, the rules, there weren't rules there to guarantee.
1: Um, oh, well, the the economic. actual rules were different to the public rules. Of course. So in, in, in practice, friends of the government, in other we, words, we're, we're given huge handouts.
0: So there has got to be a point somewhere where you do need strong government to prevent the abuse
1: of power within an economic system. Sure. You want clear rule of law, clear property rights. Um, that, they're essential for a market economy to work. and So it's not completely free markets. I mean, there's an institutional framework set by the government that's essential. Good monetary policy is also essential, which is another thing. Am I right right? to
0: protect your market to actually be a market, if you follow me, a genuine market, which is what people like Adam Smith are aiming for, where there's genuine information equality, people's freedom. That that does require a framework and, uh, and institutions. It doesn't
1: just happen yes. automatically. Okay, so. It's not take the government away, so, so form
0: all as wills. It requires.
1: No, no, government. no. I mean, that's exactly right. And so, when I said my philosophy or my ideology is one of mainstream economics, that's one that recognises clear market failures. And those clear market failures give you a rationale for government intervention. What's a market failure? Explain that to me. So, important ones are externalities, such as smoke or noise. Should be regulated by the government to prevent to prevent one person hurting another. Um, public goods such as roads or um, lighthouses, airports. Oh, Airpor- anyway. air- 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 airports are frequently being privatized. I know that's moment. why I asked the question. So, 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 yeah, <laughs> oh, wow. so, 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 so they're a grey issue. I'm and asking I mean, whether. I'll I'm, come back to it in a moment. Yeah. So, I'm, but I mean that, that that's an issue of competition policy of of monopoly power, where airports have arguably abused their monopoly power. I mean,
0: uh, it's commonly misunderstood, I think, that people think the classical liberal economists are simply in favor of business, pro-business. This is, I understand it, a misunderstanding. Yes, we're in favor of markets
1: and not in favor of business. What's the difference? Um, So free markets will often be hurtful to businesses. And the clearest example of this was free trade that we were talking about earlier. That which, which has been maybe arguably the number one liberal economic priority. Um, and Australia under the Labor government of Bob Hawke and Paul Kidding, mm-hmm. following earlier work by Gough Whitlam, um, has dismantled a, hu- a very protectionist industry policy it had since World War II. Um, and the result of that was that a lot of our manufacturers have disappeared to be replaced by much more successful industry businesses in tourism and education exports and other services and you can you explain to me why that the thinking behind why free
0: trade benefits and, and, and the principle of comparative advantage i think i think it's an important thing to understand
1: right so the fa- my favorite example for comparative advantage came from my, macroeconomic, my economics textbook by Greg Mankiw, who asked the question, why doesn't Michael Jordan mow his own lawn? Michael Jordan is famous basketball yes. player. Um, and he's clearly better at mowing a lawn than the neighborhood teenager. Of course. But, it, but it's not a productive use of his time. He because be he's on,
0: better at doing something else.
1: Yeah. So people, sh- people should specialize in what they're best at and not just individuals, which we all do in our jobs, but countries. And so Australia is very good at mining, very good at education, for example. We should be doing that. We shouldn't be making cars. We shouldn't be making clothing. These are things Nor that, submarines? Nor submarines. These are things that other countries are much better at. If we both specialize in what we're best at, overall productivity is higher, overall living standards benefit, are higher. Yes. I'm, now, the
0: pushback, you know the pushback, it happened during the COVID more recent, but also been Is uh, We want to be a country that makes things, or we're worried about our security of our supply lines. Well, yes, yeah, so in general... There's a fear somehow that, that by trusting our clothing to Vietnam and our fighter jets to America, which we do, by the way, somehow the, we're going to be less power
1: over it, less control over ourselves. Um... So the idea that we should make things ourselves is just, um, I, don't, I don't see the appeal of that, that if someone else can make something better then you can get them to do it for you and then you can do something better that they all pay for. Um, the military argument, in general, military security is improved by diversification If we have a large number of sources for our military supplies, that's much better off than relying on a few small industries that could easily be wiped out. Mm. I've
0: not heard many politicians speak like this. uh, There seems to be a mismatch between what economic reality and the intellectual and political discourse um, the general public. Whose fault is that? Is that you, economists, or is it the politicians? Who's? Why is there this breakdown in, in what? If you're right, is actually misunderstandings that are being sold to our people, to the people,
1: to to their loss. The premise of your question is exactly right and important. The general public does not think like economists, and so a lovely book on this topic is by Brian Kaplan, an academic in um, George Mason University in the yes. United States. Um, called The Myth of the Rational Voter. And he goes through several big examples of where the typical voter just thinks in what he calls a highly irrational way. And one of those ways is just a fear of markets. And there's still a perception that you can judge how the value of an action by the motives of the person doing it. So that if someone is doing something out of self-interest, the benefit of the action is suspect. And so if someone is building a house because they think they'll make a profit from it, that's considered a less valuable house than someone who does it for out of altruism.
0: I often hear this argument. In fact, that uh, good, that that, that uh, what's wrong with market capitalism is it's based on greed. Yes. Yeah.
1: And
0: you're saying that's okay.
1: It works. Greed is good. Um, <laughs> greed ne- clearly needs to be controlled. Oh yes. And channeled for public purposes, and that's what and, and in general that is what markets do.
0: Speaking and as a non-economist, that's the most counterintuitive thing about economics, is that is to think that intentions and outcome are not connected in in a market situation. That's hard to get your head around because it seems somehow, if they mean well, it's got to be better than if they don't mean well.
1: Yeah, that's what the North Koreans argue.
0: Thank you. <laughs>
1: Very um, kind of you. But I, yeah, my first defense is just an empirical observation. It yeah. clearly works. That since society has based itself on economic self interest, that is, since the Industrial Revolution, prosperity has gone up like a rocket. There yeah, you are. Um, whereas other, there have been many, many um, attempts to base societies on altruism and cooperation and and they don't seem to work. Um, the, there are clearly some things where the um, realm of altruism is effective. But in general, if you want, you don't look to the baker or the butcher or the brewer's um, altruism for your dinner, you look to his self-interest. To uh, paraphrase
0: Adam Smith, as I believe. As Adam Smith said. One of the hard things about what you're saying is, is that it it kind of humbles human beings because it's saying that there'll be a good outcome even though no one's actually planning the good outcome. Correct. Which means a certain lack of control. Although I believe, following a, um, Hayek's Henry um, Hayek, first yeah. name, um, he said the reason for this is that no planner can have enough information. Do I unpack that a little further for us? The information
1: problem in 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 pr- well, well, so so there are two there concern. are two arguments for it. I mean, one argument is essentially the survival of the fittest, an analogy with biology, that even though no one is no one planned a cheetah to run fast, the nature of the African savanna was that fast running cats catch the antelope and, and thrive, and slow cats don't, and so. The nature of selection is that um, economic processes are continually improving. This not about it's, you're not talking about people surviving. You're talking about processes surviving, is that right? I'm talking about business firms. Business and, firms. Thank and, you. And and and, and, and technologies um, that we're constantly learning to do better, and improvements thrive, and failures which, are no doubt. Uh, 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 we, we, which was has always been one of the problems with a r- whole range of alternative economic systems that they keep propping up the unsuccessful technologies and firms
0: and, and there's and, a second reason to tell you. The
1: second reason is decentralization that I know what I want I mean in terms of my accommodation my food my transportation how my entertainment how I all sorts of ways in which I want to live my life. Yep. I know what suits me best. A central planner in Canberra does not. So all of those decisions are much better off left with me. And in allocating my wallet to different activities, I choose what makes me best.
0: Also, I'm wondering, um, I think I heard something was that Matt Ridley once wrote about London. He said, it, every day at London, there's so many 100,000 meals eaten. Is supply why doesn't the lunch commissioner get more credit for this organization <laughs> yes so here's a situation where it on the whole works well but no one's
1: actually running it correct that's what you're in favor of yes yeah, so it's coordinated through the price system so that if there's a shortage of something what um, so we've recently had a shortage of petrol for example the price goes up and people use less petrol, and there's an incentive for businesses to provide more. And that happens with all, that's the way the markets are meant to work. The problem is when we get central control or government intervention, such as, for example, we've had in the housing market where you can have a huge shortage, but the rents go up, but the government doesn't allow more housing. And that's why we've got this terrible Price sure, has gone up. The supply the has not
0: come up to meet it. Let's talk about the downside, though. When, when that, the survival of the fittest of businesses yep. and and of technologies, I think, it was that creative destruction, a yep. phrase used by a uh, famous economist. People are going to get hurt. When you have open, uh, when, when you move your manufacturing industry to overseas, people lose their jobs here. There is a downside there to this.
1: People need to adjust, and that's. Unavoidable when technology is changing. I mean, we—the reason the people in the horse and buggy industry went out of business—that technology improves and we learn better ways to do things, and that necessarily requires people stop doing the old things. Australia has three and a half percent unemployment rate at the moment. It's lowest rate in about 40 years. So and. Rather than a sh- rather than. So while the unemployment for those particular individuals, those three point five out of a hundred workers, is unattractive, they're flowing through that system and they're finding jobs. That very few of them have been. But but in principle,
0: I mean, you could imagine if if a manufacturing town, is, the doors are opened and they find they cannot make the widget they make, the, the, it's the surely for liberalism to survive or to we'll be successful, someone the government needs by some provision to care for those who are the losers, even if the majority are winners.
1: Sure. And and one of the main ways we do that is with unemployment benefits Yes. so that... And retraining. Tra- re- Can I ask
0: about a, a, bo- a bogeyman on this thing, neoliberalism. Is there such a thing? And what what is wrong with it?
1: People call me a neoliberal.
0: I'm sorry, I didn't uh. mean to insult you, Peter.
1: I called you a patio liberal myself. Know, I, I, um, I'm not sure what it means. Well, it mean, or, or, so, or, or to be precise, how it differs from the liberalism or the libertarianism well, that I was describing. Well, let me
0: give you Francis Fukuyama in his Liberalism and Discontent says that one reason why people are going off liberalism was the excesses of neoliberalism. He's talking about. Um, the private inappropriate privatisations. You're talking about lack of regulation for our financial institutions, treat, uh, uh, treating them as though, though they were mere companies. Um, a kind of a kind of a world in which a lot went wrong for people, went right for people, leading to greater wealth inequality and so right. forth. Do you
1: recognise this at all? Sure, or, you know, sure. Um, I mean, it's the big question in economics is. What's the appropriate realm of markets and the realm of governments? and what should what should be done by one and what should be done by the other? And my view is that that's almost always an empirical question, and almost always you need to know the details of it, of the individual industry right And there have been. Some industries that we privatised too aggressively, so we allowed too much market forces. So um, vocational education yes. is one example. The type scheme. Air, airports, more controversially, is another example. Um, there are in both of both of those industries there are specific market failures, and simply allowing market forces to run meant that those market failures became very important and so they lacked the proper regulatory mechanisms. Um, so there are cases where more government would have been more government intervention would have been useful, but then there are many other cases where it's the opposite. So I mean and but a lot of economists, my sense is most economists, will agree on the principles involved here. As to, if there is a monopoly, then you want competition policy to be active. If there are externalities, then you either want, technically, either a Kosian or a Pigovian solution to that. I dare not Uh, ask. (laughs) um, And in principle, I think the overwhelming majority of economists agree on the principles. Where there is disagreement is, when it's not clear how important a market failure is. Hmm. Is, um, so for example, in I think financial regulation, is it a case of asymmetric information? Are, are which the ba- which are,
0: means someone the, knows more than the other.
1: Yeah, are the lenders trying to trick the borrowers into something against the borrower's interest? In which case you want disclosure requirements and active measures to prevent predatory lending um, but i mean so i mean it's and regulation is very often the case of finding exactly the market failure and ideally it's best tailoring the government intervention so that it solves that market failure but doesn't go beyond that
0: I that more generally, you're, you're, the Adam Smith quote about it's not the uh, goodwill of the baker. There's a sense, though, in which there needs to be something the baker has to have, which is honesty with me. Because, and, and this I was thinking of almost every, every time I call a plumber, I go and see a doctor, I'm putting my hand, I go to a lawyer, I put my hand in someone who has knowledge I don't have and whom I cannot really get, I'm really at their whim. Yes
1: yes and And although
0: regulation can stop it i need more society work needs more than just regulation needs to be sense a genuine sense in which people are going to be respectful of each each other it can't just be raw uh, dog eat dog right
1: so there is a common problem in everyday life of asymmetric information that the seller will often know more about the quality of what they're selling than the buyer does yes and Okay so markets have been dealing with this for hundreds of years and a whole lot of and have developed a whole lot of ways to deal with it. Reputation is the most obvious one right. so that all the examples you mentioned earlier I mean there um, these sellers have a strong incentive to develop a reputation for quality um, and that works fairly well for many industries. Especially
0: if there's mechanism for transparency.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, for some, and, and in particular, it works well for repeated transactions. Yes, indeed. Um, where it works very badly, for example, is with one-off transactions, such as building. And so, yes. um, that what's to stop a builder putting up something with faulty materials that will fall down in 10 years' time? Um, because whoever's bought the house from him, um, the builder will be long gone by the time that it falls down. That's and not a theoretical presupposition You're giving me, by the way. That happens. This this is a big policy issue at the moment, mm. and so, and, and so for this we need a system, a, a reliable system of certification, that some thir- trusted third party needs to come along and inspect the builder's work and saying. Yes, you're using the correct gauge. Y. Yes, you're using the correct insulation materials.
0: That's that. That sounds a very helpful systemic solution. Is there a cultural question? I'm wondering: is a culture, in a sense, yep. that that liberal economics have to in a sense lie on a bed of some, some cultural sense of community? I agree. Uh, you yes. made the point that good intentions aren't the only. Good intentions that always, but rarely, lead to good policy outcomes because of.
1: But there needs to be somewhere there a cultural underpinning, a substructure. There's a substantial branch of economics that looks at trust. Yes, and they find that some societies are much more trusting than other societies. In particular, northern European societies yep. have much higher levels of trust than some African countries, for example, um, and Australia. Is above average, but um, uh, not that brilliant. (laughs) we, We 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 could do better. And not only are there very big differences in culture when it comes to trust, there are. It has seems to have huge economic effects. And more trusting societies function much better, both in terms of productivity, but also in terms of consumer satisfaction, than society where trust is lacking.
0: How interesting. Um, Liberal economic, which is often seen to be dog eat dog, um, winner takes all, turns out also to depend upon a sense of trust as well.
1: Yeah. um, And how you build trust is a a difficult question to which I don't know the answer.
0: I don't think economists do, do they?
1: Um, (laughs) I don't know. Maybe they do.
0: Peter thank you very much indeed that's been very interesting. We, if we could go on forever but I don't think I want to. I've been speaking with Peter Tulip who's the head, head economist here at the Centre for Independent Studies but also with considerable experience in central banking both here in Australia and in the United States. I'm Rob Forsyth thank you for watching.